Happy Easter. What a great day for us to gather together in worship. You know, Friday, the cross was this horrific symbol of death. And yet today, this morning, it is the ultimate symbol of life. What changed? The resurrection changed. Jesus rose from the grave, and with his rising, everything, everything changed. On this marvelous morning, we are given a new clarity into the mystery of our salvation, and we're given a new sense of marvelous wonder over our Savior. I want to take us through this account from that first Easter morning in Luke chapter 24. As we prepare to go there, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, this is, this is a miraculous story that is all true, that changes everything for us, and we pray that as we come to your word, you would plant this truth on our hearts and you would give us a sense not only of your majesty, but of our new destiny in Christ. Do this, we pray, in his name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. But on the first day of the week, all at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. For these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever given a surprise party? Or maybe better yet, have you ever received one? What was it like? leading up to that party. If you were on the receiving end, there was probably some confusing combination of mixed signals you were getting. Those closest to you seemed to be talking almost in code. They would be concealing some details, not wanting to lie, but you just kind of had this sense that something else was, was happening. Maybe driving up to the location of this surprise party, 
you saw some familiar cars along the way, but you weren't sure what they were doing. And, and that spot, it was just all the cloud of haze until that moment. That moment when you walk in and the lights come on and everybody jumps up and shouts, happy birthday or surprise or whatever was the occasion. And in that moment, all those details begin to make sense. Maybe it's not a surprise party. But have you ever had one of those moments of clarity? One of those moments when the fuzzy, confusing details that were surrounding you all of a sudden made sense. In that moment of clarity, I'm guessing what brought you to to a point of understanding was not more information. It wasn't some last little tidbit. It was probably an event. Probably a person. Some transforming information that brought everything into clarity. That's what we have at Easter. That's what the ladies had that Easter morning. Now you and I, we tend to grow somewhat numb to this day. We see it as a date on the calendar. We look out to see when we're going to dress up in our nice clothes, but it becomes just one other Sunday. And so maybe we need to go back and put ourselves in the shoes of those women who went to the tomb that morning. Luke, he's the detailed writer. He's the detailed gospel guy. He tells us that among the other women who went, there was Mary Magdalene, there was Joanna, there was Mary, the mother of James. And and they went that morning expecting something. They had the spices in hand because they went expecting a body. They had seen Jesus die. They had gone and they had seen his body placed in the tomb. And so they got to the tomb that morning and the stone rolled away. And it was empty. So Luke rather, rather um, mildly says that they were perplexed. Can you imagine how perplexed we might be when we expected to see something and we got there and it wasn't what we thought? But as they showed up that morning, not only did they not see what they expected, they saw something that they did not expect. Two men in dazzling apparel. And they offered a question. Why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? But they went on after that question with a word. Verse 6 tells us that word, remember. You know, remember can be a funny word. It can be used as a question. Do you remember? Or it can be used as a command. Remember. Listen and judge for yourself. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. There's no question mark at the end of that sentence. The ESV translators graciously put a period, but there should be an exclamation point. These two men in dazzling apparel tell the ladies, remember! And it is a command, an exhortation, and it is also an invitation. It must have been confusing. It must have been confusing for the ladies and the apostles to hear Jesus speak of death and and resurrection. To think of Or to hear him speak of forgiveness, of sins, and and new life. Because you see, they, as good Jewish boys and girls, had been trained up to see sacrificing a lamb would be how they would receive forgiveness. They would have been trained up under the ceremonial law to see this system of offerings and sacrifices as, as the way. But Jesus spoke of something not different, but more complete. How many of us have had conversations with a friend that we didn't understand at the time? There are different sorts of conversations that we don't understand, right? There are times when we don't understand meaning. I wind up having a lot of conversations about medical issues, and I confess that I want to know. I want to understand, but I don't. My wife is usually my translator for those conversations. There are conversations that we have with friends that we don't understand because we don't understand meaning. There are also conversations that we have that we don't understand, not of meaning, but of impact. My father-in-law jokingly speaks of the Grand Canyon as just another hole in the ground. You've seen one, you've seen them all. But those who have been there shake their heads no. (laughs) Because you can't, with words, describe the impact of that vision. We understand what it means to have a conversation with friends and not grasp either the meaning or the impact. But for the ladies, that morning, it was both. But I'm not picking on the ladies. It wasn't yet their time. It wasn't yet their time, and it would not have been ours either. We tend to look back on their confusion and the apostles' confusion and say, why couldn't you understand? The Holy Spirit had shielded their eyes. The Holy Spirit had shielded their hearts to understand, just as ours would have been shielded, and for many of us even now are shielded, but in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, as the men in dazzling apparel told them to remember, they did just that. And yet they remembered with a new and glorious piece of information because the tomb that day was empty and they had just been told that Jesus was alive, that he had risen from the grave. And all of a sudden, all must have begun to make perfect sense. Jesus' words, his teaching. His actions, his miracles, his raising Lazarus from the dead. That day when he spoke of his being anointed for burial. All of the prophecies. They had been real, but in that moment they became real for the ladies. 
the sacrificial lamb always pointed to a fuller truth. It's the clarity that we have through the resurrection. There's a doctrinal truth about the resurrection that we need to hear and celebrate this day. That when Jesus rose up from the grave, it was the authenticating mark on all he had said, on all the prophecies, on all of Scripture. It's all true. And we know it because of the undeniable miracle of miracles that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And in that one miracle, we have clarity. We have clarity over all truth of Scripture that Jesus wasn't an egotistical blasphemer. He was not offering cheap promises of hope. All of it was true. All of it had come to fulfillment just as he said it would. He went to the cross. He died. He became the sacrificial lamb. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, defeating death. The resurrection, it gives clarity to his words. It gives clarity to his message. But it also gives clarity to our lives. How about yours? Do you have resurrection clarity in your life? Do you have clarity over the reality of your sin? Do you have clarity over the reality of the suffering that you experience in this life? Has the resurrection, the real resurrection, become real for you? This week I made a new friend. You had a chance to have breakfast with my new friend, and over breakfast we, we shared stories with one another. We shared stories of, of gospel clarity. In that moment when everything came into view for us, I shared with him the story of when my sin became a reality for me, and in that moment the beauty of redemption was, was tangible. My friend shared his story as well. There were commonalities of us doing Christian things without really knowing Jesus. So as my friend shared with me his story, he spoke of one rainy night when he found his moment of resurrection clarity. The Lord brought him face to face with another believer, a believer who possessed a confident assurance in Jesus Christ. And that friend looked him in the eye and asked him if he knew this Jesus, if he had confident assurance in Christ. My new friend said no. And his friend simply offered a hand. And prayed for him. It was the moment of clarity that changed everything. Because in that moment Jesus was not a dead deity. But he was the risen Christ. And with this newfound relationship that he had with Jesus. 
he had assurance and he had a newfound clarity that extended over the entirety of his life. Now I want to be careful. Because you see, at that moment of clarity, my friend's life didn't magically become easier. In fact, in many respects, it became more difficult. But in the difficulty and in the suffering, the clarity of the resurrection brought meaning to what he was experiencing. Because his sin was real, making his forgiveness real. His hope was now solid, and that made his suffering purposeful. Do you have this clarity? Do you have this clarity of confident assurance? It is a clarity that is offered to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the entirety of the Word of God is affirmed. It is authenticated. And through the resurrection, we find meaning in our life in the context of the Word of God. It's the clarity we get through Easter. But clarity, clarity is only part of the story. Back to the ladies. The ladies, when they encountered these two men, when they, when they heard, when they, when they remembered with this new piece of transformational information, what did they do? They ran back to the disciples. They ran back to tell this glorious news. But most of the disciples that morning were not yet ready to believe. They were still shielded from belief. They thought it was an idle tale. Not because they were numb to the resurrection, but because, let's face it, dead men don't rise. But something was different with Peter. Peter rose up ran why would Peter be different do you remember Good Friday Peter wouldn't have called it good would he but on our Good Friday Michael so beautifully unpacked Peter's experience so beautifully and powerfully spoke to what Peter would have done And experienced and seen that day. Remember that last look? Everything had transpired just as Jesus said it would. Peter had denied him three times. There was no hiding the reality of his sin. He heard the words come out of his mouth. And just as that rooster crowed, as Jesus said it would, Peter stood exposed. He had failed. His sin was real. His sin was personal. And in that moment of confrontation, he got the look from Jesus. What do you imagine he saw in that look? Michael described it on Friday night. What look would you have given had you been Jesus? I probably would have given a a disappointing, condemning look. But in that, that 
That's imposing on Jesus my sin. But everything we know about Jesus in the Word of God tells us that the look in his eyes would have been the exact opposite because this is Jesus. It would have been a look of of love, a look of compassion, maybe even a look of pity over Peter as he he was coming to the... to the realization of his, of his sin. Peter's sin was undeniable. And so, as Peter would have seen that look of love in Jesus' face, he would have no context for that kind of love. It must have been confusing to him in that moment on Friday, but on Sunday morning when the ladies came and they spoke of an empty tomb, of angels reminding them of all that Jesus had said. Peter Peter heard it and he went running. And at the tomb, though he had not yet seen Jesus, he was overwhelmed with emotion. Clarity? Clarity doesn't quite seem to capture what Peter would have felt that morning. The Word tells us that he went home marveling. You know what it is to marvel? To marvel is to experience wonder and amazement. Maybe over an event. Maybe over a person. For Peter, it's both. He's marveling over the event of the resurrected Christ. We talked about events that bring clarity when all of a sudden we understand oh that's what was going on that's what he meant how about those events that cause us to marvel I remember the Christmas when our kids were younger and Anna and I had had conspired to to give them for Christmas a surprise trip to Disney World we didn't, we wanted it to be a surprise, and we didn't want to lie to our kids, <laughs> so we were selective about the things that we told them. But to prepare them some, we told them that this Christmas we would not be making our normal trek to visit family. They were so disappointed, because they loved to, to make that visit, but we wanted to prepare them. And their disappointment seemed to seemed to rain and carry over into Christmas morning until that moment when they all simultaneously opened the gift that described for them what they were receiving and where we were going. Do you think when they opened those presents, they said to themselves, okay, now I understand what you were doing all along. Now I get it. No. There was this scene of dancing in the darkness. There was this scene of rejoicing as they realized that their future had just been changed. Or at least their near future. They marveled. They marveled over what was happening to them. It was joy. How about Peter? His marveling must have been on a scale that could not compare to a trip to Disney World. Peter, 
That morning didn't just get new information. And it wasn't even just merely that a man had risen from the dead. For Peter, it was his Jesus. It was his friends who had risen. This was personal. Friends, that's what you and I have in the resurrection too. Our Jesus has risen from the dead. And it brings clarity to the gospel authenticating all that Jesus said. He really is the Son of God. He really did die to take my punishment. Forgiveness really is given to me. Forgiveness really is given to us. And it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Easter we know that I can't earn this. It is given to me by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and then rose from the grave as the first fruit of the resurrection. The resurrection tells us that our doctrine is true. And we need that. We need to know that our doctrine is true. That's what we mean when we speak of clarity. The resurrection also tells us that our doctrine is marvelous. It's marvelous. Not merely in the context of understanding our past and our present, but it gives us hope for our future. The Word of God tells us that when Jesus came up out of that grave, He was the first fruit. Of a resurrection that you and I in Christ will experience bodily. If we are united to Christ in a death like his. We will certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. I don't know if Peter grasped all of that in his marveling. He just knew his Jesus was alive. But later that night. Clarity and marveling came together. Later, in Luke 24, we we have a scene in the upper room and the disciples are gathered together. And and by that time, the Emmaus Road walkers who, who had their own experience with the resurrected Jesus, they came back to tell their tale. And by that time, verse 34 tells us that Jesus, or that Peter, had finally had his face to face encounter. With Jesus. And then in that room, Jesus appeared to the rest. And it tells us that while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, I, I think that still disbelief for joy tells us that they thought this is too good to be true. But then Jesus gave them something even more to marvel about. You see, Jesus showed them that he wasn't a ghost. His body was real. It was physical. It was renewed. And so he ate. (laughs) Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what it means that Jesus ate? It means that with his resurrected body, we will eat. And with his resurrected body, we will eat in the presence of Jesus. The disciples in that room that night must have gotten it. Can you imagine their delight as they saw Jesus? 
in their presence, eating with them. They must have been giddy. It's really true. He's here and he's eating. And that means that we will join with him bodily for all eternity, eating a feast of well-aged wine, of sumptuous meat, together. Friends, I've already asked you if the message of the gospel clarity was real for you. And so now I'll ask you if you are marveling over the resurrection. Do you have a sense of wonder over the gospel? I ask you this question because I've been wrestling with these questions myself of late. At times, at times I feel numb. I feel numb to to these truths. I, I can feel numb to Easter. There are natural ebbs and flows in the Christian life, but at times I fear my numbness comes because I'm more focused on clarity than on marveling. So maybe that's why my time with my new friend this week was so sweet. When he and I shared stories of clarity... We were not burdened by precision. We just marveled over Jesus. Peter seems a lot like that to me. How about you? When he heard the word, he he just got up and ran. He ran to the tomb, and there at the tomb, he didn't worry about precision. He just marveled because this risen Savior was his Jesus, and he was giddy. Friends, The sense of wonder that the gospel calls us to is not limited to young children or to apostles at an empty tomb. It is available to all of us, and that is the message of Easter. In the cross, we have forgiveness. Praise the Lord. In the empty tomb, we have victory. And because on the cross and in the empty tomb... We are not offered merely a better version of ourselves. We are offered Jesus. Because of that, we can marvel. Because everything has changed. Not because we are worthy, but because we are loved. So this Easter, I ask, have you encountered the risen Savior by faith? This Easter, I pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you clarity through the resurrection. But I don't stop there. This Easter, I pray that the Holy Spirit will stir your heart to marvel over our risen Savior. Let us bow. Lord Jesus, you are risen, you are alive. Because you swallowed up death and life, we have hope. We praise you and we pray that you would not merely sustain us, but that you would enliven us with a sense of clarity and with a sense of wonder as we marvel at the empty tomb. Do this. And change everything in our lives through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.